0: Anna Jacques Man Rashi Sandach Anna Jedrogo attacked him. I'm
1: not going to be able I'm not going to I'm not
0: going to be Make the Jeep with your system of Via Sand Ultra.
2: Hey everybody and welcome to our podcast. I'm Duncan.
1: And I'm Rima. Rima!
2: And this is Game of Microphones, episode 49. <laughs> Rima! <Where am> <laughs> Such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you. And I totally get to meet you this weekend in Atlanta.
1: I know. I'm so excited that you get to, um, that we finally get to meet, and um, and hey, what better one to finally meet is um, at the one in Atlanta, right?
2: Yeah. Maybe I'll even get to see your Andrea cosplay. <laughs>
1: maybe we'll see. depends on what time you get there
2: (laughs) what'd you think about this episode overall
1: oh gosh um i mean it's such a great episode i mean how can you not love i mean every single episode of game of thrones i gush about there's there it's there's always a few things yeah there's always a few things that you can nitpick about but nothing that is ever like oh gosh i'll never watch the show again or at least for me in my opinion um i really loved it i thought this was a great Um, episode so many things you know kind of foreshadow what what, what's to come and um i just i just love it how can you not love the people in this episode and everything that you learn
2: This is sort of like a major episode in a lot of ways, Um, action-packed, big time. Just so everybody knows, this is a spoilery podcast. We are doing a series rewatch from the perspective of someone who's seen the series all the way through to season seven, episode seven. So if you uh, don't want to be spoiled, you can still, uh, you know, get impaled by a boar and uh, miss out (laughs) on this episode. Just come back once you're all healed up. Um... So, yeah, let's jump into our top five. What do you got, Rima?
1: Okay, so for my number five, I have Hello, Daddy Lannister.
2: Um, (laughs) Me too. Perfect. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) So this was the first episode that we actually get to meet Tywin Lannister. I'm pretty sure he's been mentioned, um, sprinkled throughout the, the previous episodes, but this is where we actually get to meet him. And I mean, what a flippin' introduction to a yeah. character where he's gutting and skinning a stag—a
2: real one I mean, too. That was real.
1: Yeah, that was real. Um, when I was looking up some stuff I, and and was reading on it, I thought, oh my gosh, that was a real stag that he did. I thought, you know, yeah, and it—you could tell. I mean, that was I oh mean, yeah, because if you didn't know, that was some darn good, you know, um, effects or whatever on a fake animal, but.
2: <laughs> Super good. We'll reconstruct a stag from the skeleton up through the muscle structure and everything.
1: Exactly. That was like some Greg Nicotero stuff if you, yeah. if you didn't know any better. But, yeah, the stag was real. Um, and and you just you, – you really get a sense of who he is right off. I mean they show you who he is like right away. You know, he's sitting there and he's telling Jamie he was stupid for attacking Ned, and it's like, wow, thanks, Dad. See that I had just you know, built, um, which
2: I just, like, haven't so, been able to figure out yet, so yeah, right now... he just
1: kept repeating, he's like, why is he alive? And he just kept, <laughs> you know, he said that, like, twice, and, right. and Jamie's just like... And you can kind of see it in his face that, you know, he... He knows that he's he's let him down, and he's upset that he let him down, and you could tell it's not the first time that. He's yeah,
2: it's funny. Jamie's sort of beating around the bush, you know. Tywin's like, "Why is he still alive?" And Jamie's like, uh, "One of the you know one of the Lannister men stabbed him from behind and through the leg, and interrupted me." Yeah, and he's like okay, then why is he still alive? He's like, exactly, um, like it wouldn't have been clean." You <laughs> know.
1: Yeah, he is not taking any excuses at all. Um, you know, from Jamie, or I think from probably anyone. You know, he expects yeah. things. You know, he has certain expectations, and when you don't rise to those expectations, he's just disappointed in you, and he's going to let you know about it.
2: Or he'll um, divert the tumblestone river over your stronghold and just
1: <laughs> just obliterate yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's even pissed at Jamie for becoming a king's guard, which is like a, an honor, a
2: high honor. You know,
1: <laughs> you know the, and and not just a, a member of the king's guard, but like to be in command of the king's guard, and. You know, that's he's pissed at him for that um, because, you know, he wants him to carry on the line. And we know as a Kingsguard, you take an oath where you you, ha- you can't, you know, like take on your family um, titles and such. Uh,
2: at this point, just to clarify, Barristan is still the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. But oh, um,
1: okay, that's right. It's later on, right? After Barristan.
2: Yeah, yeah. Once uh, once Barristan is dismissed, I think Joffrey appoints um, Jamie as Lord Commander. You're right. And the, uh, the other funny thing here is that the Mad King appointed Jamie to Kingsguard as a snub to Tywin to remove his male heir from the line, essentially. So Tywin has understood the political implications of it the whole time that Jamie's been at Kingsguard and resents Jamie for it, but Jamie just wants to be close to his Cersei.
1: Right. I mean, he, he's never truly been that upset because he's never wanted to, at least that's what he's always implied and said, is he never had any interest in anyone else. He wants to be in King's Landing. He wants to be with Cersei.
2: Yeah, the only <laughs> woman he's ever been with.
1: Exactly. So um, he's not too upset by it. But yeah, you're right. I forgot Sir Barristan was still there. I'm, I'm kind of living in... The other season still, it's hard to get my mind wrapped around.
2: It hasn't been clarified. Um, Yeah, it's it's hard to
1: kind of bounce back and forth with everything that you know that happens to come back to season one and kind of put my head back around how things are now. And that, that hasn't happened yet, but... Regardless, eventually he does, you know, become, you know, the commander of the King's Guard. He's he's pissed about that. It's like nothing, you know, his children can do ever make this man happy. You know, he, and I like the line that he says where he says a lion doesn't concern himself with the opinion of sheep, which... <laughs> really just gives you a sense of this of this guy. And I like when he makes a statement about you know, he's telling Jamie's like, you know, your mother is dead, I'll soon be dead and when you and Tyrion and Cersei and her children are dead all that we're foreshadowing is the family. Totally <laughs> foreshadowing. And it's like, look where we are, yeah. you know, today. Um, a lot of that has come true. The only two left are well, th- sorry, three is Jamie, um, Cersei, and Tyrion, the the three children. And we've seen what a mess they are and how divided, you know, they are right now. So and that yeah. that's my number five is you know, hello, Daddy Lannister. It's our introduction to Tywin Lannister.
2: Great. Yeah, same here. Um, And yeah, you're totally right. After Tywin says that all that will be named is all all that we left is the family name. I was just thinking, oh, shit, maybe all the Lannisters are going to die by the end of this. And all that will remain is the family name, literally, (laughs) (laughs) which would be hilarious. I
1: hope not. I I hope Jamie and Tyrion are still
2: around. Yeah. Definitely, um, <laughs> yeah. So I thought this was a really cool scene too, because we immediately get to see just what Tywin's all about. He's all about family. He's talking about how the next few months will, you know, will be, will def- define the 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 Lannister legacy, the dynasty for the next who knows, maybe a thousand years. They could establish a dynasty that could <laughs> last a thousand years. And Jamie, he's you know telling Jamie he wants. He needs to step up and be the man that he was born to be, you know, not tomorrow, not next year, today, right now. Um, so, yeah, we, we just get a really good grip on Tywin. We learn that um, he doesn't necessarily have a high opinion of Tyrion at all. When Jamie says to him, I didn't realize you placed such high value on my brother's life. And he says, mm-hmm. you know, he's still a Lannister. You know, he's he, right. even if he's the lowest one of us, he's still one of us. Um,
1: oh, and you see that so much. I mean, you get that feel for it like, damn. But then you really to see it later on in other episodes, how awful he is to Tyrion. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, they did. A, this is a really good introduction scene. Definitely. Um, and having been missing Tywin uh, for a while, such a powerful character is just so good. And oh, yeah, and Jamie is like Jamie's a strong dude, he's an intimidating badass, um, you know, in a number of levels, right? He's physically imposing because he's big, mm-hmm. he he's looks great,
1: great in battle,
2: yeah, he just looks like he's good at stuff, you know, you know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. um. He's He's got a sharp tongue and wit. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's able to convey a sense of power to people around him. Mm-hmm. And he's cowed by Tywin. So that totally. says something about Charles Dance and the gravitas that he brings to his performances. Because <laughs> cause Jamie is cowering, basically, during Absolutely. most of this interaction. So... Um, just mad, mad props to Charles Dance for an extremely powerful performance um, in this introduction scene, and uh, and as well as the rest of the way through this series, they just it, couldn't have cast this character better. I I think.
1: Oh, I totally agree. He's so he. I mean. I really, really despise the character, but the actor, like you said, Charles Dance, he, he had such a wonderful performance, and not just in this episode, it was such a great introductory episode to kind of, I think it was to kind of prepare us, like, okay, here he is, and this is what he's about, to kind of prepare us for the, the harshness that was to come, you know, in, in later episodes, and in that performance, like you said, you know, Jamie's, you know, um, an intimidating figure with, with who he is and his family name. He's great in battle. Like I said, he's like good at everything and he's yeah. admired. Um, but then in front of his father, who, you know, he, he's like a little boy. He looks like a five year old boy.
0: Standing <laughs> in front
1: of his dad. It's so, so crazy. It is crazy. So, it's yeah, you make a really good point.
2: Yeah. Oh, and cool. I just love how they introduce him. You know, first off, we kind of pan across the Lannister camp. And Jamie's saying, he's reading the the Raven, you've been summoned to King's Landing to answer for the crimes of your Bannerman, the mountain, and then cuts over to Tywin, who's just totally unfazed, and we know right right off the <laughs> yep. bat, like he doesn't give a fuck, and he's willing to get his hands dirty, as literally as he's doing at this moment, skinning a a stag himself. And gutting it so uh, like yep. the symbolism there is quite clear and uh, it's it's awesome really really great job with this whole thing so uh, i think that pretty much wraps that up anything else you want to say about this scene
1: nope i think we covered it pretty well
2: all right how about your number four
1: so my number four is Cersei and ned's war of words
2: ah we knew um, we were gonna have all the same ones this is perfect <laughs>
1: we're totally in sync today. That's awesome.
2: How can we not be with this episode? It just has so many big, major things that are all are important, you know?
1: I know. I know. So, so many, like you said, big things that, that happen in this episode. I I think we're definitely probably going to be like that throughout the rest um, of this discussion, but um, that is such a big, big part as well of, of not just this episode, but of other episodes. Um, It, rewatching this episode just kind of brought it all back full circle for me as to how much Ned underestimated Cersei Mm -hmm. and and what she was capable of you know they're having that talk in that in the garden and she just she gives him that look that she gives everyone that you know she just kind of tilts her head and she's just kind of looking at him as he's, you know, telling her, you know, um, I know about, you know, basically, you know, I won't, you know, I can't quote it verbatim. But, you know, basically, like, I know your secret. I know Jamie's your lover. Oh, it's so sick. She, she
2: says, my brother's worth a thousand of your men. And he goes, <laughs> your brother or your lover. I know. <laughs> and I wrote, oh, snap, all capitals.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, she what a scene just the the exchange between both of them um, I at least admired her for admitting the truth which kind of warns you I think that she does not expect Ned to be living much longer because um, she or he can expose her and she's just admitted it and said yep Yeah, he's the father of my children, he's my lover, Um, I love him, not Robert, and that's just how it's done, you know, and and she justifies it, of course, by stating about, you know, how Targaryens for hundreds of years have been, you know, um, marrying each other, you know, to keep the bloodlines pure, which we see later on how that does continue (laughs) into, um, you know, current events.
2: Instinctually.
1: Yeah. Um so just just their exchange I just loved. I think both Sean Bean and um Lena is they're they're just they're both wonderful actors and it just made me feel so sad for Ned. He's so damn honorable. Do you think he was too honorable? When people I, say that a I lot. I think
2: he could have been just as honorable but been slicker about it. Like instead of saying when the king returns from his hunt, I'll tell him the truth. You have, you know, until then to get the fuck out of here. Um, he should have just been like, Guards, take this woman into custody. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's just admitted that the the kids are bastards, you know what I
1: mean? I know, because why why didn't why do you think Ned didn't tell Robert when he was still alive? I mean, I know he came he was off on his hunt, he comes back and he's That's a good he's question. Injured. He never said anything, you know. He even has a, in a moment alone with with Robert as he's yeah, writing the letter. Yeah, and Cersei is
2: terrified. Yeah, to you leave see that them. look. She's
1: like, "Oh my God, it's going to go down." She's like mentally preparing. Robert, my sweet.
2: <laughs> Everybody <laughs> yeah, out. <laughs>
1: exactly. You you can see that fear when she when when Ned enters the room and she's mm-hmm. like, "Uh oh, is he going to do it now with it everyone like, in the room?" Quite and then beautifully she's staged when he um, dismisses everyone. Um, so it's like, I wonder why he didn't say something. Why was he holding back? Was it because he was ill or, you know, wounded or something? I mean, he he couldn't have thought he was going to survive that wound.
2: Yeah, maybe it was because he didn't want to. Um, it's like he's already dying. Everything afterward, Ned's going to have to handle anyway. So maybe he just didn't want to have uh, to basically tear <laughs> King Robert's entire world apart. Is everything he knows to be true, just you know, destroy that as well um, before he dies, just to make it even more painful for for Robert. I mean, maybe that's why I just didn't want to cause him further agony, uh, mental mm-hmm. anguish, or or agitation. Um, what a scene that is.
1: Yeah, Man. that was that was another great one.
2: Yeah, it's oh, it stinks. It smells of death. Don't think I can't smell it. <laughs> you know?
1: I know, I know. I love it when he uh, tells him, Give me something for the pain and just let me die."
2: Yeah, um, let me, me die. Um,
1: yeah, but yeah, that that's I don't have a whole lot to say about it, and I'm not going to quote everything. I think we we all just sit back and and watch that scene and just be like, wow, um, so much happens. With not a lot of words and I think Ned you know he it's like he's so good at strategy like with war and you know how to you know it's like he knows how to run things but he spent so much time in the north because it seems like he hasn't been south since he you know since the you know the the fall of the Targaryen line and King Robert took the throne it's like he hasn't been down south since so he's been stuck in the north and he has absolutely no idea some of the you know political things that happen and he he underestimated so many people um and that was i think his downfall so it was just a shame it was just so sad knowing what what happens to ned um and his family and and seeing watching these
2: Uh, it really is so he just
1: he should have like you said i think he just i agree with what you said that was pretty accurate is he could have still remained honorable yet been a little bit more slick in who he trusted and who he talked to (laughs)
2: Yeah, and just taking him into custody right at that moment, um, it would have been the right thing to do because that's what Robert would have wanted to be to have been done. Um, he could have just done it preemptively. He's the he's speaking for the king at this moment. He's the hand of the king. He would have had the authority to do that. Um, yeah, I I have <laughs> written down in my notes. I wrote, "When the king returns from his hunt, I'll tell him the truth." And I have all caps. No, Ned. <laughs> yeah. Ned's problem is that his problem isn't his honor, okay? Honor's cool. I'm an honorable person, too, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like, I consider, I feel a kinship with Ned for that same reason. Um, we, you know, many similar values, you know? The difference between Ned and me is that I can think like a criminal, you know? Mm -hmm. That's Ned's problem, is that he's, he's honorable, which is good, but he can't think like a criminal as well, and and, um, Use that that knowledge and that that thought process to plan honorable ways to interact with dishonorable people. Um, he needs if he was if he was who he is with Littlefinger's capability to predict other people's actions because mm-hmm. Littlefinger thinks like a criminal. Then Ned would have been awesome. He would, would have survived this. He would have been able to handle this whole situation. But he just can't think like a criminal, you know. And yeah, that's. Uh,
1: that's true. That's a really good point. Um, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, yeah that's that's true. He's not um, he's not putting because I think Tyrion said something later to to Danny in this last season when you know he's like you have to put yourself in your enemy's shoes because how else are you going to be able to anticipate what they do if you can't think like them. Right. I know it's not verbatim, but that's basically what he was telling her. And I think yeah, that's exactly. That, yeah, I think that's something that Ned kind of missed the point on
2: just was incapable of um I do a lot of research into conspiracy theories and stuff like that mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't buy a lot of it and I I chalk it up to that same reason is that many people just can't think the way that hardcore criminals think right um yeah
1: <laughs> so, i agree good point yeah.
2: so it's pretty interesting and i i like um the conversation that they're having here because cersei is being like Blunt and straightforward. And Ned is being pretty slick. Um, despite not being able to think like a criminal, he's being really slick with his wording.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He, he, you know, your brother or your lover, and she admits it. And then he's, he's slick. He figures out what happened with Bran in his head. And instead of asking, he pose, he states it as a statement. You know, he says, he saw you with with Jamie. Bran saw you with Jamie. And it's not yeah. like he's asking. It's more like he's just stating it. Yeah, and that's she fact. yeah and she agrees and confirming that which blows his mind and then some somehow the kids get brought up and ned does the same thing and they're all jamies <laughs> thank the gods she says um and it's crazy she goes on to describe her excitement her initial excitement to wed robert and how the seeing him in the sept on their wedding day was the happiest moment of her life and yeah. she she, it's it's heartbreaking that, you know, the story of Cersei, she's deeply uh, traumatized and dealing with post-traumatic stress from her experience with this, the whole, you know, all she wanted <laughs> was to be queen, obviously, like any little girl wants. She was going to marry the prince and then she gets to marry the king and then on their wedding night he whispers ned's sister's name into her ear you know? yeah, <laughs> which is
1: how how differently things might have been had that that event not happened you, you 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 get these little little hints and and stuff of of well what would have happened had this been different or whatever that might have I don't know that it would have changed the fact of you know of her love affair with Jamie because they act like that's been yeah, going probably on not. since they've been children. But maybe she wouldn't be so bitter and angry. Exactly. I mean she is just so
2: just a horde. full
1: of this vengeance and and, and anger it's over full Robert. Of
2: bile. Yeah. Ugh. So
1: I think she's always been a nasty person. I think that we saw that and when she was a child when she visited the witch in the woods when we okay. saw that flashback yep. and she learned and we learn about the prophecy. Um, yeah, she great. believes in.
2: Good um, call. And so also when um, when the Red Viper talks about going to Casterly Rock and her pinching little Tyrion's cock. Yeah. And being a, being a dick about that.
1: Yeah, so she's definitely been pretty nasty, it seems, all her life. But I, I wonder if, if that was like a big turning point for her or if it would have even mattered. I don't know. But she certainly yeah. had that hatred towards Robert for that because she does admit her love for him at one time. Yeah, well, and I, I kind of thought the same thing about Joffrey, because we I feel like Joffrey, when we see Joffrey, you know, as he's little, prior to Robert's death, he's still a little shit. He's a spoiled brat, coddled by his mother, completely entitled, um, or feeling entitled.
2: Yeah, they're like the same person.
1: Yeah, they're like you know she's like a female Joffrey. You can see where Joffrey gets it from from her at a young age how she is, and you can see that as Joffrey too. And I was and I wondered that from when King Robert died, and you know you see Joffrey sitting on the side of the bed, and he actually looks upset. Looks
2: distraught. Yeah, he
1: does. He looks very upset, genuinely upset that his father is dying, and and he looks kind of scared. You almost see a scared little boy instead of that little little shit that he is Yeah, maybe
2: that's what it is maybe because he's more off the deep end than Cersei you know what I mean like he's yeah. more of a total psychopath um, yeah. maybe it's fear and not like love that you're seeing his look of anguish as his father's dying maybe he's just Possibly. scared because yeah, I don't know if he's capable of feeling emotion like, <laughs> like yeah, love right. you know what he's I mean way,
1: yeah he's a sociopath I don't think that he can that he's capable of, of those feelings because he doesn't even feel anything like towards his own mother You know, you see how awful he is towards Cersei later on, you know, after King, after King Robert dies and he becomes king and it just, he becomes more, you see that monster comes more and more to the surface. You know, even Cersei is like fearful of him and can't believe how awful he is. She still defends him. Remember
2: when she slaps him? What does he say to her? Um,
1: oh gosh, like you're, like you're lucky. Something about, isn't it like you're lucky you're my mom or that'll be like the last time you ever do that. Oh, that
2: was after she slaps him. Before, I think he's like, oh what does he say you must have been a vaguely beautiful woman back in your day or something
1: oh yeah because she's old now right to him (laughs) so old
2: yeah yeah don't ever say that
1: don't ever say to your mom or any woman (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> get slapped. <laughs> but um but anyway, yeah, yeah I kinda of went off on a tangent there. But um yeah, I don't think she was ever gonna be, you know, the sweetest, kindest person if Robert had really loved her and returned her affections the same that she had for him on you know, prior to their wedding and on their wedding day. Um yeah, and it's proud interesting. to be his wife. But I just wonder if things had been different, what would have been different?
2: Yeah, uh yeah. It would have been interesting to know good uh really good scene there that is like you know that's the scene where we get the line you know you you when you play the game of thrones you either win or you die yeah you know, all you needed to do is climb the steps yourself the biggest mistake you've ever made and ned's like that was not a mistake and she's like oh but it was ned <laughs> it was a mistake <laughs> She's crazy,
1: <man. laughs> you, know, you can just hear that evil sinister laugh um, yeah <laughs> coming out of her Yeah, that, that was a really great scene. So, you know, not a real long scene, um, and no wasted words, no wasted
2: words at all. Um, yeah, yeah, everything is, yeah, really good. I think that pretty much sums that up. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't really have anything else to say about that. How about,
1: uh,
2: awesome. How about your number three?
1: So my number three. We may
2: branch is, off here.
1: We we may branch off. Let's find out. We'll yeah. we'll see if we're um three for three, but maybe not. Uh, my next one is Littlefinger's speech.
2: Oh yeah, we do branch off. Interesting. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Go for it.
1: So you know, we <laughs> see Littlefinger um in his brothel and you know, we see the, the two girls doing their thing. Um, oh,
2: this speech. This <laughs> I, was speech. Like, I was thinking, huh? <laughs> yeah. This speech. Great um, scene. Wow. Yeah,
1: it was a really, really great scene. I mean gosh. He's he's oh, he's such a he's such a damn little weasel. But I know. he's he, he really captivates me and I think he captivates the audience and I think he, you know, him being, at least for me, was a character that I loved to hate and I, and even though I, you know, I didn't like him, I always wanted to see what he did next or what he was going to say next because I found him very intriguing and very interesting. Um, but, I, you know, I knew he was always up to something and I was always intrigued to find out what it was, but yet fearful to know what it was because um, you knew it wasn't going to be good and <laughs> it was somehow going to screw yeah. somebody. Um, but, you know, his whole speech as he's talking, you know, coaching these girls about how to really fool a man into thinking that they really want to be with him. I, you know, I feel it was like so reflective of was it was really about him making people believe what they want, like how he has done with everyone. And he, yeah. he talks about the duel. Um, it's what he's know. doing
2: to Ned right now yeah it's basically. totally what
1: he's doing to Ned and what he does to everyone make people yeah. believe what they want and I love his, his line he goes back to his after that piece of it he goes back and talks about that duel oh, and this yeah. quote when he says you know what I learned losing that duel I learned that I'll never win not that way that's their game their rules I'm not going to fight them I'm going to fuck them that's what I know that's what I am and only by admitting what we are can we get what we want yeah. And Ross asks him what do you yeah. want? And he says, Oh, everything oh, my dear, everything, everything there is.
2: <laughs> everything there is.
1: And and I think that is so foreshadowing so much of what what what's to come because we see how how much of a role he plays in so many events. I mean clearly what's happening right now, he plays a huge event in that we see, you know, that comes later when Ned turns to him for help mm-hmm. um, because he, he believes because of his relationship Littlefinger's relationship with with Catelyn that he can trust him
2: and yeah. that's oh, so sad.
1: I know it's like it just turns your damn stomach the fact that he he's laid his cards out on the table with Cersei like he he t- told her this is what I know. I know everything which I th- I thought was kind of a mistake. I don't know that he should have Yeah you never admitted. reveal
2: all your cards bit the no. other thing that that don't do that exactly. Ned obviously he doesn't just, understand
1: yeah i mean she she laid it all out on the line to him too because i think she knew well you've done you've done um sliced your own throat there ned so i'll tell you everything that that yeah that you're right um, because i know that you're not gonna you know be around to tell anyone else this isn't gonna last so she's already got her wheels turning so he made a mistake i think by laying all his cards out on the table he should have them mm-hmm. close closer to the vest and just kept playing cersei and just kept being just king of the hand and doing his business, and then he goes and he trusts Littlefinger, which obviously a, a huge mistake, and and um, you know we see how that that plays out, and I just it just made me sad. It made me sad to you know. I mean it was kind of interesting. I really like it. he's so intriguing to to hear him speak. But yeah, it made me so sad for everything that was to come, not just yeah. to Ned, but the rest of the Starks.
2: There's one particular moment where he's interacting with Baelish that I found particularly heartbreaking. Um, when they're talking about the situation and and um, Baelish is trying to get him to step up and do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's trying to get him to basically go along with it, make Joffrey king and everything. Yeah, and I'll cover this more later but there's one line I want to talk about here since we're talking about it and um, he's like no I won't do it so it will be Stannis and war there is mm-hmm. no other choice he's the heir and then he goes on to say um, to, to Baelish you promised Catelyn you'd help me <laughs> <And> <laughs> the way he says it it sounds like he's relying on a promise he, it's all he's got It's it's he doesn't have leverage here he's just hoping and, and praying that Baelish will help him, and you can hear it in his voice when he says it. And it's just really—the way that he he uh, he gives that line mm-hmm. is pretty telling, and uh, it just, like, it hurt me to hear it. <laughs> you know what I
1: mean? Yes.
2: He sounded really pitiful kind of when he said it, um, which is sad.
1: Yeah, I mean, he didn't—Ned didn't have too many people he could rely on with his knowledge and his help, knowing that, you know, he he's— the move that he's going to make by having, you know, Cersei removed and Joffrey removed and and trying to put um, Stannis in his place. You know, that's not something that is just done, you know, without, you know, people backing you. Um, yeah. So and that's why he does go to Baelish is because, you know, um, he knows, well, at least b- hopes that he can help him. And, you know, like Littlefinger tells him, he's like... Um, the city watch follows the man that pays them.
2: Yeah, that was an intense line. Um, yeah, it pretty was pretty true. Let's it, jump back to the um, to the uh, sex scene. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this is a great episode because we get to learn a lot about a couple important characters. You know, mm-hmm. we get to learn a lot about Tywin in his introduction. And then we really learn a lot about Baelish in this scene, too. Oh, yeah. We learn about his motivation, that he just wants everything. We learn about his tactics, that he doesn't fight, he bucks, that he'll lure you in, make you think what you, what you want to think, and then use it to sabotage you. Um, we get to learn about his more about his feelings for Catelyn, which kind of mm-hmm. put a lot in perspective for me. Because um, we, we've, been, we've been kind of wondering, you know, does Baelish love Catelyn? Does he love Sansa? And or is he just, you know, politically inclined and driven to sit at Winterfell or something like that? And and um, it's sort of answered in this scene. Did you pick up on that?
1: I don't I mean, I I think that I did, but I, it probably differs from what from what you're thinking. But I'm interested to hear what what you think.
2: Sure. Yeah, there's there's one very specific specific coupling of lines that sort of really lays out his true feelings I think um, he's not talking to some he like the person who's talking to doesn't know who he's talking about so he's more honest than he would normally be mm-hmm. um, and you know she's he's talking to Raz and and she he's t- tells the whole story about the duel and everything like that
0: mm-hmm.
2: and how much he like cared for this woman and everything and Raz says she must be very beautiful and he goes no impeccable bloodlines though yeah so that's that tells you what his real motivation is he didn't really care about Catelyn at all he cared about her dynasty, about her legacy about her family and he wanted to be in on that and be a Tully yeah. essentially and um, get in the line <laughs> that was his way to power um which is what he really wants. So this is very revealing. He didn't even think that she was beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, didn't right. care about Catelyn at all, just care about what she stood for, essentially. Um, which we can see again when he uses Liza in the same way. Uh, but I guess he must have liked Catelyn a little more than Liza, <laughs> considering what he told Liza, you know, about yeah, um, I th- loving I think, her sister.
1: I think as, I think he probably loved Catelyn, and I, I'll I'll just tag on to that, that I do agree with what you said. I think that was really telling, and I was thinking the same, um, but I think that you can probably say it a lot better than I can anyway, and you can articulate it a lot better. I, I totally agree, because if, if he had truly had true love feelings for Catelyn, he would have done as she asked, and and, and held on to that trust that they she has in him anyway and really helped Ned because helping Ned would have made Catelyn happy. And if you love someone, you want them to be happy. And he instead turned it in his own favor because he is so power hungry that, you know, um, I think that is telling. Maybe he really, you know, just desired her for what she could have brought to him in life as far as rising him up from the small stature that, and I don't mean like height, but like the, the, you know, place that he came from, that it would have rose him up in status. And, um, you know, he didn't get that. So he went about it another way, but I think, yeah, you definitely see that what his true motives are and his true feelings.
2: Yeah. It's interesting too. And you, you can tell from this scene that he's not inclined to help Ned also because, um, she, As he's giving them their, uh, uh, lessons, you know, (laughs) Roz uh, is digging his, his, his thought process as he's explaining, um, he reaches something inside you that no other man has done before, you know, and she's like, Mm -hmm. wow, this is intense. Why don't you join us, my lord? You know, he's like, no, I'm saving myself for another, obviously Catelyn. Right. So he's angling somehow to still end up with Catelyn at this point, which means that he's planning on betraying Ned somehow to get him out of the picture, out Mm -hmm. of the way. Um, Which is just interesting. Like he's already got a good amount of power at this point. So why is he still interested in Catelyn at all? Does he want the castle? Does you know what is what's what's his motivation there? I'll have to think about it a little bit.
1: Yeah, because if Ned is gone, he. Um, I mean, he wouldn't get Winterfell. That would go to Rob. You know, Catelyn wouldn't. You know, it. I mean, if he 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 tried to think that he by marrying Catelyn that he would then become like ward of the North, like um, Ned is. I mean, that's not gonna happen. So yeah. I don't know what, what he was, I don't know. i it's like, you see some things and they make sense as to how he's thinking and how he moves and motive or how he manipulates situations. But sometimes I feel like his end result isn't ever quite clear. That's why I was kind of upset, um, to see him go when he did. Yeah. Um, I mean, we never a, really
2: got to see like his end game start to yeah, play like, out. <laughs>
1: exactly. Like what, what was his true end game and how did he think, you know in this last season his his movements throughout the season and things that he was doing how did he think that was going to get him there and and then actually what was his end game and you know i know i know why they probably you know, killed him off so early or well, I feel it was kind of early, but I think yeah. that with the next season things are going to have to just move on and we don't have time to complete that storyline, I guess. And it was Sadly. beautifully done. I still like seeing it. It was, I thought it was oh, really yeah. well played out for sure. I just felt, I wish I had found out what his true motivation or what his true end game was. Um, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I know that. And I just felt slightly unsatisfied, <clears throat> but, um, yet the scene was absolutely, beautifully done when, he
2: wants uh, everything there is Rima. is that not clear enough
1: <laughs> yeah is that that should be clear he just wants everything everything wants just there everything is. oh man enough said
2: <laughs> um i was uh, while you were talking there i was trying to contain my laughter um as i made a hilarious connection um peter baelish is totally patrick bateman in this scene um, from american <laughs> psycho have you seen that
1: I have seen that.
2: There's one moment in particular that I'm thinking of where he uh, he turns to Roz and says, Play with her ass. <laughs> and it reminded <laughs> me of, uh, of Patrick Bateman. Don't just stare at it. Eat it. Um, but <laughs> but <laughs> while he's telling the story, I, I have written down in my notes, tells the story of his duel with Brandon. If you can manage to focus on what he's saying through Roz playing with the exotic girl's ass. Um, <laughs> he's just a boy, she said. Jesus can't focus, I have written down. <laughs> so yes. I was struggling to to pay attention to what Baelish was saying, completely distracted by the uh, the sex position that was occurring in the background. It was, it was hard
1: to maintain some focus on what he was saying um, a couple times because it's quite a scene. Uh, there's yeah. a lot going on, you know, that that causes some distractions. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. I
2: agree with that. That's, that's great. Um, anything else you want to say about this scene? Nope. All right. So we'll move to my number three, which is John being groomed for command. Yeah. Which is pretty exciting um, and really funny the way it sort of plays out. Jor Mormont is monologuing at the wall about brotherhood and solidarity, prepping for the uh, the novices or whatever you would say the apprentices to to take their vows and become brothers of the Night's Watch they, uh, they're all lined up to be um, announced to what section of the workers or you know where they'll be assigned right and they're listing off names and positions and what's his face Gren is given the position of Ranger and John like looks over at him and kind of like elbows him and has a huge smile on his face like really big funny smile Um mm-hmm. Like the probably the the happiest we've ever seen John Snow look at that moment, and uh a couple seconds later, Sam gets sent to the stewards and and uh, <laughs> and John says, you know there's honor in being a steward to sort of cheer sam up um." Which foreshadows his own disappointment, <laughs> as mm-hmm. he is as he is swiftly named a steward himself, and his <laughs> the, the smile just disappears, and he just looks like yep. <laughs> it's one of those moments where oh, I think we broke him, you know, where John is just like a broken clock, just sitting there in total astonishment as he knows he's the best ranger, like of the inductees here, mm-hmm. the one that would be most suited for combat and ranging. And he is not happy about this at all. No, you know,
1: he's not.
2: Walking to the front of the line as Maester Eamon is g- telling people their specific assignments and the, the, you know, their sub assignments for their new categories. And <laughs> and Amon tells him that he is that Lord the Commander Mormont has requested him as his personal steward. Which is an honor, you know, in mm-hmm. a number of ways. Um, as Sam f- has figured out, I mean, will I fetch the Lord Commander's meals, clean his bed sheets? <laughs> yep. John is so pissed. It's hilarious. And um, Maester Eamon is, <laughs> would you take me for a servant? We took you for a man of the Night's Watch, Lord Snow. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: so Got funny. Got shut
1: down by Ma- Maester Eamon.
2: <laughs> Am I free to go? so he storms off and uh sam chases after him john don't you see what they're doing you know and he's all pissed off and pip comes up and kind of puts everything in perspective with his backstory about how he was just a you know a happy little bard doing his thing singing for the lords and the lord wanted to see his cock yeah reached over and touched his leg and um He was not really into it. (laughs) And and the Lord, uh, in turn, threatened to frame him for stealing their silver. And uh, so he basically fled and decided to uh, join the Night's Watch to escape that scenario, which is horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll never sing for the Lords again. I'll never be inside another woman again, etc. And it sort of puts into perspective like the... This minor insult (laughs) that John is is going through right now, where he chose to join the Night's Watch. He chose this fate, you know, giving up his autonomy uh, to be part of a a cog in a a larger system, whereas some people have been forced into this and have their whole lives ripped from them. You know, Um, pretty interesting there.
1: It was. And leave it to Sam to bring John back around and, you know, make him realize that this is not an insult. This is an honor. He's, you know, he's you're you're being groomed to Don't one you see day what's happening for command. john <laughs> i know in his lovely samuel tarley you know tone that only they're grooming you for
2: command <laughs> yeah he's
1: so you do that so well um <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good sam um but even then you kind of see um the you know how sam I, I think we saw early on too but definitely in this scene you would just see it continuously and it carries on throughout you know the rest of this, um, the series. You know Sam's positivity and his enlightenment, and him being able to kind of bring things into perspective a little bit. And yeah, he
2: has like the zoom out capability.
1: Yeah, he's like you, you know. you're totally missing the big picture. This isn't you're not just being a steward. You're you're not just gonna, it's not about the changing of the sheets and making sure he's got, you know, hot water for his bath. You know, you're going to be in all of his meetings. You're going to be taking down his words, you know, when he's sending out raven uh, notes and such. You know, he's going to be involved in everything. Wherever the com- lord commander is, John's going to be right there by his side. He's yeah, going to learn super
2: to come badass. In.
1: And it's super, and it was so important for things to come. <clears throat>
2: And you it's know. really telling, yeah, super important for everything to come. And it's really telling that, um, you know, of who Lord Commander Mormont is—that he's able to pick this qu- these qualities out from John, having known him mm-hmm. for just a couple months, essentially, mm-hmm. if that—and um, bringing him into the fold as his personal assistant to groom him. It yeah, it really kind of shows you how um, how on point Mormont is, how he how good of a char- judge of character he is, and right, and what a leader he is, and it. In my mind, this this solidifies that he does belong where he is. You know, he, he's a good Lord Commander.
1: It's, yeah, it's, yeah, there was a lot happening. And, and you make a good point about uh, Jor Mormont and, and what he sees in Jon. And and I think that's where we saw, because we saw John's. you know, he had a bit of an ego problem there. You know, in the beginning when he gets to the Night's Watch, where he's real cocky about being a better fighter. You know, and he's teaching everyone to try to fight And uh, Because, you know, you've got boys who've probably never picked up a sword before. They're not soldiers. They're, you know, they're um, criminals or they're bastards or, you know, not many of them come from the same background that John did. Even though John was a bastard, he had the same training and grooming at Winterfell that Rob and the other, the other children had. Yep,
2: just didn't have the perspective. Exactly. Uh. So
1: he had a bit of an ego when he got there. He like, you know, yeah, I'm kind of better than all of you. And he says that, to, he's like, I'm better than all of you. And <laughs> yeah, I, I've yeah. got to be a flippin' steward, you know, that is not the best use of my talent.
2: Very Theon um, of him.
1: Exactly. So same, this, the
2: same episode, Theon says, talks to Asha about referring to their betters by their titles. Right, you know, like I'm better than you, Osha. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you, like cut you off there. It just no, my head. no, that
1: was really all I had to say. I just because um, that kind of goes into um, my number two a little bit. I had that in there as well, so I was just kind of making a point about that about his ego. But you know, I think that we definitely kind of see that broken down as we go. You know, he d- because he does, I think, start to learn. You know, from being you know his his steward and. um how to lead, how to command. And I think it breaks him down and I think that serves him well to come. Not just being around Jorah Mormont and learning how to lead and be in command of people in an army and 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 doing what he needs to do. But also it, it kinda of broke that ego, I think, a little bit. And we see that. Making so him well. a steward.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Definitely needed that. Not as if his ego has if, as if he didn't grow up with a broken ego being the mm-hmm. bastard of Winterfell yeah. but his his ego has sort of reversed as he's now has considered himself um, better than everybody at the wall which is sort of the opposite of how he felt at Winterfell which is interesting uh, yeah. psychologically to see that transformation sort of occur but uh, there's a great parallel that you just made me think of um, based on your analysis of, of his psychology here. Last episode we had Danny sort of breaking her chains um, as, as her slaver uh, Viserys is killed and sort of stepping into her own as, as a queen and as a Khaleesi and becoming herself. Right. And John is sort of really stepping into his own now as well, becoming himself aside from a couple of little character flaws, like him freaking out, misinterpreting this, uh, this assignment. He's sort of, he's gone from being a bully basically to being, being a leader at the wall already.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: earning the respect of his of his of his friends who, who had started out as his enemies. <laughs> Grand and Pip and these guys who are now like buddy buddy with him. The way that, you know, he's bumping elbows with Gran and smiling as he's um announced to be a ranger. And um it's just really it's really cool. Um he's sort of stepping in his own and mm-hmm. he's being recognized as as that by Lord Commander Mormont. And um I mean, it, it makes sense that Lord Commander Mormont would be paying sort of particular attention to uh, the bastard of Winterfell, anyway, considering he's Ned Stark's son and right. Benjen's nephew, and they're going to want to see who he is and what he's capable of and what type of person he is. Um, so it all it all makes sense, but it's cool to see the parallels as John and Danny both sort of step into their own as the uh, in the same part of this series. You know, they've both been been uh, suppressed. Danny was a slave, essentially. John was a Bastard, the lowest Mm -hmm. of of Winterfell, um, and they're both growing and becoming leaders in their own way um, at this particular point in time, sort of concurrent with each other in terms of the story, which is really good, um, well thought out, well laid out storytelling for sure, you know.
1: Exactly, and and you know I think that John saw because he wasn't going to really be able to go anywhere in where he was at Winterfell. He was a bastard. He wasn't going to inherit anything, um, right. you know, from Ned due to his stature. You know, bastards just don't—at least in in that part of the world—don't don't get to go anywhere or do anything. And and that's just how they're always going to be known. And that's what he lived with. And even though he probably didn't have—he didn't really have—I don't think much of an ego. Um, At Winterfell. But I think he saw an opportunity that at the wall, he could be somebody. Right. And
2: that. Yeah, exactly. And that's why his why his attitude changed so much and why it sort of flipped, because he saw that he could step up and he could like he had skills and that he was talented. And yeah, yeah. Good point that he had this opportunity.
1: Yeah, that he could actually be somebody. And and then his Uncle Benjamin's there, you know, so he's got <clears throat> some, you know, familiar faces. He knows he's kind of already got an in, you know, he feels or at least I'm and I'm just, you know, just speculating here. But I just that that's how I kind of feel like his ego kind of changed because, you know, despite being a bastard at Winterfell, Ned made sure that he had the same kind of training. He was trained by, you know, great swordsmen. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, it was just a stature that he was never going to be able to inherit anything. And Ned couldn't really claim him as his own and make him legitimate or anything. So that Although was his Although he, he
2: probably can, could have, um, considering his best buds with the king, he could have had the king legitimize John.
1: It's possible.
2: But, uh, oh, I think it's probable. I think Robert would have done it in a second if his, if his boy Ned asked him, you mm-hmm. know. He's like, listen, Robert, I've come south to help you rule the kingdoms, I want you to legitimize my bastard. It's like, done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think that's a good point. Who knows what could have happened there, potentially. um,
2: He would have been a Stark, um, but he then again... He was never really a bastard, so he never exactly. really could be legitimized, um, so it's not something that Ned could even ask, because it's impossible.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah, he, he really was not the bastard that we thought him to be, so...
2: Yeah, um, and it's interesting, too, he, uh, you know, John he, he may not have been able to inherit Winterfell or marry a lady or anything, but he could have, you know, lounged in a badass castle for the rest of his life, and...
1: Not a bad lived a way good to go. life.
2: <laughs> yeah, in yeah. terms of Winterfell life choices, it's high yeah. up there. I mean, uh, Westeros life choices.
1: With a, that pretty a, much
2: um, sums up my number two. Sorry, what were you going to say there?
1: No, I was just going to say, um, what did Tyrion always say? How he wanted to die. Um, either it was Tyrion or it was Braun with. Um, Old in one... my own
2: bed with a woman's mouth around my cock with, <laughs> a, full, like with
1: a belly full of, wine belly full of wine with his wine. mouth around my cock and yeah. <laughs> yeah i just that's not a bad way to go
2: <laughs> yeah i think yeah and tyrian's reading my mind basically
1: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so
2: what's your number two rima um well
1: like, we've kind of already talked a little bit about it um it was john takes his vows um, all right that oh I yeah. really like that whole moment you know is was their you know, talking about how they're all going to take their vows and if they're gonna, where they're gonna go if anyone follows the old gods, you know, and that they can go find the wirewood out, you know, out past the gate. And, um, I really love, you know, John and Sam's relationship. I just love those two.
2: Yeah. Um, best to, buds.
1: Yeah. Best buds. And Sam always has a, a beautiful way of speaking, which we see like every time he has a scene. He always has a way of making people see reason or just a beautiful way of wording things.
2: Are just being funny as hell. Like yeah. there's one scene where it, it goes up to the top of the wall, and my my note here starts with all caps. Sam is so funny. I miss girls. Not even talking to them. I never talk to them. <laughs> but he
1: misses them dying. all the same, right? Yeah. Don't <laughs> well, you I miss like them? I like it whenever they're in the um, in the stable, and he's trying to tell John like. Don't you see what they're doing? And, you know, Pip comes in, in there. And like you said, Pip talks about his story, right. what really happened. He wasn't he didn't steal a, a wheel of cheese to feed his sister and his family or anything. He this is what happened to him. And um he, you know, Sam looks at him. He's like, Um, will you sing me a song, Pip? You know, I I <laughs> right? And
2: Pip kind of storms <laughs> off.
1: I just and he's so innocent and lovely. You're you sing can't me be a song, Sam, okay. ever.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, except for when he ignores Gilly when she's talking about John's non-bastardhood.
1: I know. (laughs) Such a typical guy to have that selective hearing problem that all men seem to... um Uh, fall victim to um, that. He just hears what he wants to hear and completely you know kind of dismisses as she's talking about something interesting and very important, although it seems to come to light later. I think it corrects itself. It does.
2: Yeah, he uh, it's we never it's the only time we ever see him really agitated or um, in sort of a mood. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) Sam's been through so much. They're like beating him with swords and calling him pig boy and stuff. And he's just sort of like, I'm a coward. It happens. You know, yeah. like the first time we see him. Thanks, Jon Snow. You know, like everything just rolling off his back. Like they're beating him mercilessly and, you know, making fun of him and everything. And he, he's not even getting riled up at all. Yet he's reading a book in that scene with Gilly and he's so pissed off and like not paying attention to her. Uh, it's, well, it's kind of it's a hilarious weird moment because for he's,
1: he's pissed at Gilly or not really pissed at Gilly. He's pissed because nobody's listening to him. But yet he does the exact same thing to Gilly. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Which not is listening oh, to her. It sucks.
2: Yeah, that sucks.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. But uh, lovely, lovely Sam, you know, standing up with John saying he wanted to take his vows, you know, to the old gods, you know, how he, about his
2: logic there, too? You yeah, think about absolutely. That?
1: Because you know his, you know his father kept the new gods. His his father before him, and but you know, hey, they never listened to any of his prayers. So why not try the old gods? And
2: yeah, so cool. And we just, as I have mentioned, you know, Sam's been through a lot. <laughs> he has, his,
1: and and you said it really well when you talk about how when we first meet him at Winterfell he's getting he's getting beat up he's getting made fun of he's getting called names he's taking all this abuse and it's just rolling off of him which just tells you how much he's put up with it over the years
2: yeah he's like oh this is nothing compared to being chained up by my father and told that he'll kill me in a hunting accident
1: exactly I mean that's (laughs) horrible he's been through horrible experiences because his own father hates him so much and treated him so badly you know, uh, throughout the years, that hey, this is nothing. He can totally take all this abuse because yeah. it was way worse in his own home, where his own father wanted to kill him. He's like, "You I mean, either join yeah. the Night's Watch, or you're going to be dead. I'm going to." At kill least you.
2: we know now that karma catches up to Randall tarley Oh um, boy! Well, sadly, it takes Dicken as well. I was gonna um, say, and
1: the only bad side of that was, yeah, it took Dicken as well. Um, I I really was interested in seeing what his his character, if anything, you know, when we were introduced to him.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, he seemed like a badass.
1: Abs, but um, (laughs) do you see his abs? (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) Oh, I don't. I don't remember. I just remember seeing him in his armor, and he looked monstrous. Huge.
1: He's a big guy. He's at least six three or six four. I'll send you. Well, if you're interested, I'll send you a picture of what he looks like. I want to see his body. Oh. <laughs> if that does it for you, Duncan, i well, will
2: <laughs> I was I was happy, plenty happy with just Roz and Exotic Girl. You know, that was fine. Right. Fine with me. Those are the abs well, that I like.
1: You can take my word for it. The man is well built. And um, I appreciate and not just offer. for those reasons, but I, I thought, well, let's see what he does. You know, without Randall Tarley, You know, right without
2: him. that domination Force above him, it would have been interesting to see how Randall would uh, lead exactly. House Tarly. I mean, a Dickon.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but um. so, yeah, I really like that moment. Sam stands up with John. I really like when they do go out to the Wirewood with some of the other members of the Night's Watch so they can witness them, you know, taking their vows. And, and I love the Night's Watch vow. I just, I think they're beautiful words. Um, I think it's beautiful, the oath, you know, that they take. Yeah. And, you know, they take. Um, Take the words and and what does he say? I'm the sword in the darkness. I'm the watcher on the walls. I'm the shield that guards the realms of men. And I think John still, even though he's technically quit the Night's Watch because, well, he died and you're a Night's Watchman till you die and he died. (laughs) Um, So he has walked away from that and has taken on his role as King of the North and and being, um, you know, Warden of the North, that he still... I think guarding the realm of men because he knows the threat coming or well, not yet at this point, but now there's a,
2: there's a way that John is able to have that zooming out capability that Sam had earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, seeing what the realms of ran, the realms of ran, realms of men really entail. You know that the wildlings are men as well, and that there's this inhuman undead force that that we're really protecting all men against. Um,
1: right. So he's not yeah, just protecting the north when he's you know in this last season when he's doing what he's doing. He's protecting right. all of
2: all of humanity all of
1: humanity so i think that he's still kind of he might he not may not be in the Night's watch anymore technically but i think that he still holds true to that and of course being warden of the north protecting he, his uh, own people but all of yeah man.
2: he has to step up to a greater calling than can be encompassed by the the um the lord commander of the night's watch position right you know in protecting the realm now includes joining the kingdoms as well in defense um, of that, and that can only be done by someone with more power than the Lord Commander, basically. So he, it was destiny calling.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's so c- it's cool crazy. to see how all these pieces come together and how it forges For what's to come and what we know is coming, so yeah, that that was my number two. Not too much to say. I just I love that whole beautiful scene uh, with them. Yeah, it's really cool. That brotherhood that they share, and then what they share together when they take their vows together. And I just love the vow itself. I love the oath. Yeah, it's
2: it's too bad they didn't use the full oath from the books, but it would have just taken too long, too much screen time.
1: Yeah, you gotta you gotta fit in what you can. Yeah, but the horn that wakes the
2: sleepers. Etc.
1: What's your number Uh, two?
2: My number two is Robert Down and different people trying to take power. We Mm -hmm. got Cersei trying to take power in her way. Joffrey trying trying to take power in his way. Ned trying to take power so that he can pass it to Stannis, who, once he finds out, also tries to take power. Renly trying to take power. Got Peter Baelish trying to take power. We've got Danny in Essos trying to convince um, Drogo. Everybody is trying to take power um, as soon the second that Robert is weak, um, <laughs> which is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's just hardcore to see Robert. Um, you know. <laughs> I paid the son of a bitch back in full though. I drove my knife right through his brain. <laughs> yeah. Asked them. Asked him if I didn't. And <laughs> Ned looks over. And <laughs> um, so it sucks that uh, Robert didn't come back in decent enough condition to have a discussion with Ned mm-hmm. about the revelation, um, the, the, the blonde bastard revelation. Um, which would have been pretty cool to see Matt. Oh, my God. He he slapped the shit out of Cersei last episode. Yeah. Imagine what his reaction would be, finding out that his son isn't even his son and that she's been cheating on him with her brother who's been guarding him. Oh, man, there would have been heads on pikes. Heads
1: <laughs> on pikes, for
0: sure.
2: <laughs> there would have been hammers through uh, breastplates again. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, I can't even imagine Robert's wrath uh, Uh -uh. upon learning that truth. He's like a cannonball or something, you know, just him. He's like a big round cannonball.
1: He is. Yeah. And I could see where he would be very vengeful um, because, you know, you see what happens, you know, with um, what he believes with with Lyanna and her being kidnapped and how vengeful he was and taking down the Targaryens and taking the kingdom for his own. If, if he had found out the truth about Cersei and Jamie and that his children weren't really his children, I can't even imagine what would have come out of that. And I don't even know the fact that her father being Tywin Lannister would have been enough to save her. I mean, because you know, if, if Robert, you know, had executed her for that betrayal, um, Tywin is obviously coming with his army, and oh how, yeah, it would have been war. That's going to tear the whole kingdom and the whole realm apart. I don't even know that that would have stopped him from taking action.
2: I think um, it would have ended up being <laughs> the Lannister army versus versus the Gold Cloaks, the uh, the any forces that the Baratheons have combined with Winterfell and the, and the Vale. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been, you know, the Lannisters would have been put down uh, if if this had gone according to plan, basically. Yeah. I think, um, I think Robert
1: would have had more on his side, just being the King and everyone yeah. having to bend the knee to the King and, you know, swearing fealty uh, to come to, to his side. And, and yeah, he, he would
2: have had everybody except the Lannisters basically. Yeah. Cause who's going to willingly engage in a rebellion. Um you know, mm-hmm. essentially at a time of peace. Um The Grey Joys. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The the Greyjoys, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh Rhaegar fucked Robert's betrothed, and the result was the blow from Robert's hammer was so powerful it caved in his breastplate into the uh, in the chest beneath it, you know what I mean? Yep,
1: the rubies <laughs> in the water.
2: So if Robert found out that Jamie fucked his wife you know, um, it would have been a similar situation. So we um, get Robert, who, you know, fought, got got killed by a boar. <laughs> he's got a mm-hmm. hilarious line in the scene. King Robert Baratheon, murdered by a pig. <laughs> Putting it in perspective, you know. I'll yep. do my best to honor your memory, Robert. <laughs> my memory. <laughs> the Fool King. Uh, basically, he's saying, you know, mm-hmm. like what a joke. I mean, how many kings get murdered by a pig, honestly? That's pretty pathetic. Um, but you know, he went out doing what he loves, so He good did. For him. He did
1: love hunting and, and it it was ironic considering that's how he died, because that's what he that's pretty much how Robert spent many of his days was drinking and eating. You know, we, we knew him or well we didn't know him or see him, but Cersei references him on their wedding day as, you know, dark and tall and lean. You know, so obviously he he was, I mean, he was a soldier. He was a fighter, you know, back whenever, you know, um, all of this happened um, and he was taking over the, you know, he was, the drone, yeah. that he Gods,
2: was. Gods was I strong back then. Exactly.
1: And even <laughs> Ned jokes with him. He's like, you've gotten fat, you know. And so, yeah, to know that it, it a pig takes him down, you know, that that's what kills him, you know, because he's he's one. He's drunk.
2: He's become a pig yeah so you know what I mean his his turning into a pig is what killed him exactly also. he was that's drunk hilarious. on the
1: wine, you know that's what killed him he well, what we think at this point anyway has killed him. yes, the pig, I guess in essence was the end result, but we know that something came of that later, which we see at the at at the end whenever or not at the end, but at the end of that scene whenever Ned walks out of King Robert's room and Varys happens to question well who gave Robert the wine.
2: Yeah, and that Ned's was a great moment. And
1: exchange looks.
2: His own like, little way of planting the thought in Ned's head.
1: Yeah. And then when they realized that his squire was a Lannister, and then we learn later on from Lancel Lannister how he confesses to— well, it's not really confession because she knows it already to be true because she's— but Yeah, how he mentions him, it to Cersei. Yeah, whenever he's talking about it, it's revealed that it was Cersei that had his wine poisoned and made sure that Lancel gave it to Robert. And that's what made him stumble— and fall and be killed you know so it was interesting whenever i noticed that look i think i probably missed that my first it's not my first rewatch that i've done this time around but i must have you know maybe not picked up on it so much my other times that i watched it but i was like oh they planted that seed way back then and we don't find that out way back for a little bit so so it is kind of ironic how he died by drinking the wine, which was poisoned, and also being killed by, you know, something he would have been, um, you know, had he not died, he would have been roasting that night for his dinner.
2: <laughs> right. Know. And it's funny, too, thinking back a couple episodes, Ned's like, oh, I'm coming to help you rule. And he's like, ha, help me rule. You're going to rule while I drink and whore myself to an early grave. Exactly. You know,
1: That's
0: Which all he, he
2: totally did. does. <laughs> <That's all laughs> right he off he totally the bat. does. And he lives uh, up to that.
1: He, he's drinking, eating, and...
2: Yeah, whoring himself. the yeah. <laughs> Uh How many of them do you think are in that room? <laughs> A couple episodes ago. Um, so, yeah, then, it, yeah, it's really sad, too, the moment we get with Barriston when Ned walks out of the room there and Barristan says, you know, like, he was drinking and he told us to st- to stand back and I failed him. I failed him, my lord. Ned, I
1: failed him. Oh, Sir Barristan. And
2: yeah. <laughs> He seems to fail all of his kings, some one way or another, you know. Mm-hmm. After spectacularly helping them in some way, like <laughs> he rescued the mad king when he was held prisoner in Duskendale, infiltrated a castle by himself, and extracted the king by himself through a whole frickin' army of people at Duskendale. Like that is truly legendary. The most impressive feat I know of for mm-hmm. any Westerosi knight. But you know, then he was away at the Trident when uh <laughs> when, when or shortly before uh, the Mad King is killed. He wasn't there to protect him, and he wasn't there to protect Robert either um at that moment. So Ned But he Ned was there leaves. for Danny. <clears throat> he was. Yes, he ended up being there for Danny uh until his demise. Mm-hmm. So if Danny gets killed, we can say that Barristan failed her as well.
1: <laughs> Quit picking
0: on
2: uh, Sir Barristan. <laughs> <laughs> I love Baristan, man. He's he's, he's got to be one of my top ten favorites. He's um, awesome, dude. So yeah, Ned leaves there and he gets pulled aside by Renly. And Renly is Renly can think like a criminal. Uh, he he oh, knows yeah. what Cersei is up to. Offers Ned a hundred swords um, in exchange for bypassing Stannis in the line of succession. And Ned is, like, not having it, you know, and Randley makes some really good points here. He's like, listen, mm-hmm. the line of, ex- line of succession didn't matter when you put Robert on the throne. Like, why does it matter now? We didn't agree to hold the standards of the Targaryen dynasty in terms of succession. Like, that mm-hmm. hasn't even been dealt with yet. We can decide who succeeds in our own way. It's our kingdom, you know?
1: Right, they make the rules.
2: Um, so he's got a point, but, you know, Ned is stuck in the old ways, essentially, and says, you know, Stannis is your older brother. Um... He's the he's the heir like that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, just Renly, you know he he's he's got some good angles here. Um, He talks about how Stannis isn't a leader, that he doesn't inspire love or loyalty. Um, Ned, you know, he says he's not a king. I am, and Ned says to him. you know, Stannis is a commander. He's led men into war twice. And Renly retorts with, "You still believe that good soldiers make good kings?" After Robert, you know, oh, right? Basically, um, and so Renly is like kind of on point here. And if Ned was operating purely on logic and not on superstition slash tradition, you know, he may have may have been a good decision to um, to join forces with Renly at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but his honor holds him to the standards of previous succession. And he turns, um, turns Renly down, solidifying his fate, (laughs) essentially.
1: In so many ways.
2: Yeah. He, he, so that we have Renly trying to take power here. Then he goes back to his, his quarters and is meeting with, with his, he writes a letter to Stannis telling him the truth of the bastardhood of the Joffrey and everybody. And, um, Sends the letter, the raven off, and Balish comes to see him and sees that he's sending a raven and tries to encourage Ned to take power so he can join forces with Ned and take the power for himself, basically. Mm-hmm. So this is Littlefinger encouraging him to encouraging Ned to um, to to play along, essentially, because I, I imagine that. Littlefinger sees Ned as a smaller obstacle than the Lannister household. Yeah. So if he can if he can get Ned to do all the hard work and and eliminate the Lannisters, then it will be less of a battle for Littlefinger to manipulate Ned because Ned is kind of stupid, um, yeah. in terms of thinking like a criminal, and he's able to be manipulated. So it's a smart play for for Littlefinger to um, try to manipulate Ned into taking the power and. And opening up this opportunity for himself. But Ned refuses, so Littlefinger takes the next easiest option, which is not fighting against the Lannisters, which is still working with the Lannisters. Um, So Ned further solidifies his fate by being tricked into relying on Littlefinger here, which you never want to do. Never, ever rely on Littlefinger. It's only worked once in this series, which is when he came to to save Jon Snow, basically, Mm -hmm. for Sansa at Winterfell. Yep. The one time that <laughs> that he's, you know, come to bat for somebody, essentially, uh, which is pretty intense. Which so we he get only that. does
1: to serve his own end anyway.
2: <clears throat> right. <laughs> yeah, for his <laughs> own master plan to, to regain Winterfell into the hands of his allies so that he can hopefully sit there someday. Yep. Um, so it's pretty intense. Ned is hardcore, man. Like, he's openly, like, willing to accept war uh, just for the principle that Stannis is the older brother and heir. Yeah. Because uh, no,
0: it's right. no
2: bones about it. And <laughs> it's, there's a pretty funny moment too. when when little finger is kind of going through this whole spiel and Ned is like what you propose is treason. And the, just the look in Ned's face. <laughs> he just looks like astonished at how slimy little finger is with this whole scene, which is great. Uh, <laughs> nice. I love little finger and I love Ned too. Um, so we get we get Renly trying to take power. We get Littlefinger trying to take power. We got Cersei doing it in her way, seizing the um, the throne by installing Joffrey immediately and ripping up Ned's letter from Robert, which completely shocks Barristan. Those are the words of the king, <laughs> you know. As as she, <laughs> well,
1: because he's honorable himself, you know. Oh Sir yeah, Barristan. yeah, very like honorable Ned says, person. You know, don't harm, you know, Sir Barristan, He's the most honorable. You know, yeah, I, I loved
2: that. That 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 was that just made me respect Ned even more. Like, he, don't bring no harm to Barriston. He's a good man. Do him no harm. Right. He would have let himself be taken essentially um, by Barriston to to prevent harm from uh, from being done to barriston right.
0: um, I, I
2: really like that Ned does that, and it, it harkens back to the last episode um, where he has a brief conversation with uh, with Barristan about how they are both glad they never met each other in the field of battle, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. They both have a respect for each other. And uh, what were you going to say there, Rima?
1: Oh, I was just going to mention, I think at that moment when you mentioned, you know, how he, after Cersei tears up that letter from King Robert that Ned had written for him in his words. And he looks at her and like you said, says, those are the words of the King that you start to see that chink in like the armor that Sir Barristan holds, you know, for his, his oath to the king you know whoever is sitting on the throne he you know owes his oath in his life to and you can see later on um as as jeffrey has become king and and when he finally leaves you know he throw you know when they you know strip strip him but it's like he he the the things that he says later on and how he's lost faith in that i think that he's held faith no matter who sat on the throne, but I think Joffrey was like the last straw for him. Oh yeah.
2: He breaks it. Absolutely. Because
1: then he doesn't just go off. He goes in search of Danny to help her rise, to overthrow Joffrey. Yeah, it's great.
2: Barristan is a really great character. He decides to make up for any of his shortcomings and um, his, you know, his loyalty to Robert and to the Lannisters essentially by, by reverting and um, finding who he had originally, like the heir that he originally had sworn an oath to be loyal to, mm-hmm. um, so his honor compels him to travel to Essos, even in his his old age, and serve Danny spectacularly. Yeah, <laughs> which is really cool. He's the, a great, the true character. heir
1: as he sees it. So.
2: Yeah, and um, since we were mentioning this, Robert's words and the letter and everything, it's important to note that this may be Ned's most dishonorable moment of his entire life. Is changing Robert's words in his last will and testament here? Um, I mean, he does he he corrects a misunderstanding and changes my son Joffrey to my rightful heir, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, he's bypassing the direct will of the king and not writing, recording his exact words. Yeah. That would have been Robert's will essentially bastard or not was to, I mean, considering he didn't know that Joffrey was a bastard, his, his will was to give the throne to Joffrey period. It wasn't to give it to the heir, you know? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's arguably dishonorable that Ned did this and uh, bad for his honor, but good for the kingdom. You know, it's a, another sacrifice of his honor that he's making for the better good because he sees what a monster Joffrey is and what a monster Cersei is and everything. So
0: uh-huh. Ned good sacrificing
2: point. his honor again for the people, um, for somebody at least, uh, which is amazing. Good point. That, yeah, Barriston going to Essos brings us to our next uh, power seeker, because <laughs> <his laughs> Uh as she <laughs> tries to convince Drogo to ride... Um, West, which is pretty funny. She's, you know, she's trying to butter him up and get him to go travel across the uh, ride across with the wooden, the wooden horses. And Drogo's like, speak no more of wooden horses and tells her he's some some ballsy statement here. He tells her that, um, oh, no, it's actually never mind. That was Jorah who tells Danny that Aegon had no right to the kingdoms in the first place. Mm hmm. Uh, which is pretty ballsy to say to your Khaleesi. Oh, uh, um, definitely. Because she's like, the kingdoms are mine by right, you know. And he's like, um, you think that, but Aegon didn't have any right. You think he took the kingdoms because he had a right to them? No, he took them because he was powerful and he could. Right. And she's uh, she mentions, oh, he, had, he did it because he had dragons too, and that made it easier. And he, Jorah's like, yeah, maybe. Interesting. I never picked up before that Jorah didn't really buy that dragons existed. Um, previously, did you notice that this episode?
1: Yeah. I didn't pay as much attention to it, but I remember seeing it. But I didn't put much thought into it. But I did pick yeah. up when he said that. Yeah,
2: it's yeah, it's really interesting. He uh, he mm-hmm. t- talks about how he believes in what he sees, mm-hmm. and that you know he like he doesn't really believe that dragons existed. Like maybe it was like. Um, history like revisionist history propaganda um, and don't get me wrong revisionist history isn't always bad sometimes history is written by the victor and his story history is incorrect and needs to be revised to be more, more accurate right. but um, in this case he's considering that dragons may be propaganda which is interesting cuz especially at season at season 1 episode 10 you know in just a couple weeks he uh, he sees dragons born and <laughs> You does know, he and, yeah and he's like holy shit and that just sort of like throws everything that he, that he knew just, out the window and
1: right. well not yeah. just dragons but Danny coming out of the fire
3: yeah know? he
2: sees dragons born and Danny boobs Got which is burnt. just like yeah, yeah and burnt <laughs> amazing um yeah and so uh Danny's trying to convince Drogo to go west and he's not having it he tells her to lay off it essentially until she's attempted to be poisoned mm-hmm. um and it's interesting, uh, Jorah gets his notice of being pardoned, his royal pardon, and then immediately becomes suspicious that Danny's in danger because on the same ship that came the messenger, most likely came the assassin. Right. You know, so Jorah knows that danger is afoot. And now that he's gotten his pardon, he's going to have no hesitation in trying to protect her because he's pardoned and he's got no reason to, to let the assassination go through. He's mm-hmm. already got his pardon, you know. Um, so it was interesting that just a timeline there and like the choices that Jorah makes and uh, I'm really, really happy he saved Daenerys. Oh, um,
1: yeah. I'm glad he was, um, in tune enough to realize, you know, that as he gets that pardon, that something, that something was getting ready to happen and, yeah. and he thought of something. But, you know, I think that at this point, even though he's spying, on her for Barris and essentially Robert that I think that he would have thwarted any attempt on her life had he known about it prior to I do I agree he would have totally tried to thwart any attempt on her life because he was already completely caught up in her and would have done anything for her and um but that just triggered it I think for him like you said that was like his trigger like oh shit something's up uh, yeah, something's going to happen. So, you know, he obviously didn't have any knowledge of it until that moment. But I think he would have done it regardless of knowing that he had a, a pardon or not.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and Interestingly, you know, she wouldn't have been in danger if it wasn't for him sending word about her pregnancy and stuff. Mm-hmm. But also um, if he hadn't been the informant, he would not have had the information to protect her. As well, um, so right. it's it sucks that he was an informant and that he was doing all this. But at the same time, being as close to her as he was, it's lucky that he was the informant because if if it had been somebody else, um, she could have been in real danger, like real, mm-hmm. real, real danger. Um, and how about this wine merchant man? I really like the performance by this guy.
1: That
0: was especially
2: good. Yeah, there's this <laughs> moment where Jora comes up and he you know gets the wine poured and he holds it up to his own lips and then he tells the guy to drink it himself and he passes him the cup and there's this beautiful moment where it's kind of like tight tight shots of like super extreme close-ups of everybody's faces and it's panning back and forth between Jorah and the wine merchant and Danny, and the wine merchant is like kind of smiling at them and nodding and looking back and forth. And uh-huh. I, I just thought his the look on his face was so funny here. I just, know. I really enjoyed this performer uh, in this role. So kudos to the wine merchant.
1: <laughs> yeah, poor <laughs> really poor funny. feller. He didn't fare so well. No, um,
2: no,
0: no.
1: Later no. on, being naked and dr- uh, drugged by. Um, a <laughs> yeah. Um, brutal.
2: Got some so full brutal. frontal.
1: On a, on a guy He's there. got the
2: dangler out.
1: Yeah, it was it was happening. It was there for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a so really funny. good performance. Uh, it was tense, tense moment. Even Real even tense. after watching, I don't even know how many times now I've seen and rewatched the series now, but um, even still watching it, it, still has you kind of on the edge of your seat, like, what's happening? What's happening? You know? Yeah.
2: And his enthusiasm freaks Jorah out and kind of like shows him that, oh, this is the assassin that came with the messenger, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Jorah's concern freaks out Danny, and after a couple seconds, she starts to get freaked out too. You will drink, you know? Like, oh man, it was badass. It
1: was great. Really great. So,
2: thing. luckily she survives, and Drogo is fucking furious like I'm surprised he didn't rip the guy's throat out um, when he walked into the tent and the guy was tied to the stake there yeah, I know. he goes over and like sees Danny and is just like super glad that she's okay like my my moon of my life um, are you hurt you know and no my son and stars I'm fine and he then goes on his super mega badass rant about now he's down to take the, Kev- the Seven Kingdoms yeah. <laughs> He, he you know he has this special moment with Jora where he tells him to take any horse that he chooses and it's his i i give you this gift sir jora and then he t- he turns to Danny and says i i also promise a gift to our unborn son you know and we will ride the wooden horses across the seven kingdoms tear down the stone castles and this the iron. I'm my. I'm fist pumping the air as I'm saying this, just for you <laughs> listeners. Two fists. Um. Channel
1: tall Go. <laughs>
2: yeah, the the iron throne that was his grandfather's will be his. You know, like give this throne to my son, and like it's it's fucking epic, and he just is so terrifying. And I'm I'm trying to choose what to use for the intro audio. Just his his whole monologue here in dothraki for the intro for this podcast episode or the scene where cersei is talking about how all you had to do was climb the steps for yourself and sit you know (laughs) what do you think what should i do oh
1: gosh that's a really tough choice um well you know i'm i'm a big jason momoa fan so if i have to lean towards one or the other i'm gonna say call drogo
2: and that would be funny, too, right, to use the intro where it's, like, a different language and <laughs> nobody knows, like, what he's even saying, exactly. but you can hear like, the what intensity. The hell?
1: And you're trying to, like, Google Translate, but there's no Google Translate for Dothraki.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there is! There is Google Translate. <laughs> is there, is there
1: Google Translate. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I don't think
2: it's on Google, but there is Dothraki, Dothraki Translate. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah,
1: you're right. I don't know if it's Google, but I've seen <laughs> somewhere where I think that you can kind of learn or know um what they're speaking but yeah i you know put up your little thing for google translate and see what the hell's being said um in dothraki but total badass moment um yeah go super call, go, go. super you badass passion come out and you see what really makes him the inspires fire.
2: and um, yeah people
1: as a leader and how good of a call he is
2: and danny herself too she's very inspired by him you can see i have in my notes too um
1: Oh, she's inspired uh, let me tell you she's she's inspired in quotation marks and
2: <laughs> yeah 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 inspired i, I yeah. have danny loves him so much as the end of my notes here um, as she's just like you know head over I, heels I, for i think we know what happens after moment. that
1: little speech
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Definitely, um, yeah. So these are all these different characters trying to take power, um, including over and in, even over in Essos, people are plotting to take the throne, mm-hmm. um, which is really good. Um, game of Thrones really becomes a game in this in this episode, particularly. This is when the Game of Thrones begins. as Soon as the power vacuum occurs and Robert's out of the picture,
1: yeah, a lot of the chess pieces moving.
2: Yep, yeah, big time. So that's uh, my number two. What's your number one, uh, Rima?
1: Well, we pretty much covered my number one, which was King Robert's death, which um, because it was so monumental and pivotal in this whole series that you know this happening that like you said, uh, so many people are moving towards power and and doing what they can to to seize that power. Um, Danny and Khal Drago do not know. About yet yeah, about King Robert and um, him, you know, being gorged by a a pig and that he's dying or has dead or by the end of the the episode that he's dead. At that point, he's just looking to conquer based on this assassination attempt on Daenerys. Um, yeah, but the people in Westeros um, know, and so you see all those chess pieces moving along the board and everybody making their move because that's obviously when you make your move. Right is when there's a weakness. Um, in the kingdom and, yeah. and King Robert being gone as long as he's in power you know I mean yeah, you could
2: he, say that everybody's trying to climb the ladder of chaos
1: exactly so you know um, I don't really have too much more to add to that I think we've you know I think pretty much covered it but that was you know all of it it's just it's such a, a pivotal thing that happens in the series that it just really it starts moving all those pieces and for things to come and things that happen that we see later yep. on in the series with Stannis with Renly um, and just all the events to come and and where we are today.
2: Big time. All right. So, yeah, my number one, I think, is an appropriate way to um, end our top fives, which is the betrayal scene that episode that ends our episode as well. Oh. Um, what a crazy scene, man. Yes. Ned is summoned to the throne by King Joffrey. And he's like, King Joffrey. Uh, you know, he's taken aback to hear that a little bit. As he's walking in, um, Peter Baelish says to him, all is accomplished. The City Watch is yours, mm-hmm. you know. He finds out that Renly has fled, Um, probably the, you know, a, a dick move, because he's not there to help, but smart for self-preservation. Um, Janus Slint, the scumbag who Jon Snow beheads later on, is a total douchebag here and says to ned as he's walking into the throne room we stand behind you lord stark fucking i have uh in one word all caps son of a bitch uh in my notes so he gets his his comeuppance for that in a couple seasons seasons um fucking bastard and then he as ned walks in says, i wish to be crowned within the fortnight today i shall accept oaths of fealty from my loyal counselors and uh, Ned replies, "Sir Barristan, I believe no man here could ever question your honor." We find out from Barristan that the Raven is, or that the you know the the scroll is sealed with King Robert's seal, unbroken. And he reads that. Lord, it's interesting. He paraphrases it. He doesn't read it exactly. He says, "Lord Eddard Stark is hereby named protector of the realm to rule as regent until the heir comes of come of age." Uh, so I just thought it was neat that he didn't read the exact words there, but it was mm-hmm. paraphrasing. Um, and it's cool that you can see that the Kingsguard are trained to read and write, um, which not everybody is in Westeros, so it's important. And l- obviously, Barrison is, as Lord Commander, he fills in the White Book um, and everything. But yeah, Cersei is such a fucking bitch, man. <laughs> can I see that, Barrister Barristan? He passes it to her. Is this meant to be your shield, Lord Stark? <whistles> Calmly shreds it in half and then shreds that in half. Oh, man, those were the king's words. Barristan just looks appalled. And uh, we have a new king now, Cersei says. And then, um, the oh, man, it's just so intense. So smug. And Ned just outright says that Your son has no claim to the Iron Throne, although he doesn't say why. Joffrey, liar! <laughs> <laughs> Barristan sees this man. <laughs> um and he, like he said, he tells him, tells his people not to harm Barristan and the back and forth here is nuts. Joffrey, everything is like really coming to like chaos in this moment. Joffrey, kill him, kill all of them. I command it. The, the hound whoosh, rips his sword out of his scabbard and just like, scabbard just like has it like, like his muscles all tensed up and the, like, it's just intense. It's like the hound's ferocity in that moment. It looks like he's going to kill everybody in that room. Um. So kill him, kill all of them, I command it. And Ned Ned responds, Commander, take the queen and her children into custody. <laughs> her children, you know, specifying that they're not Roberts. Um, and then right as everything is about to just like, everybody points their spears up towards the, uh, the dais. And Cersei has a moment of panic where it looks like she can see that they're outnumbered. And then, right at the last moment, Littlefinger shouts, "Now!" and everybody turns against Ned and kills his household guard. And uh, Ned appears behind, behind, or Littlefinger appears behind Ned with his knife to his throat. As little, as Ned is kind of caught off guard, just assessing what the fuck is going on all around him, as all of his friends are being murdered. And all of a sudden, there's a knife to his throat. I did warn you not to trust me. It is just chilling. chilling it this, this whole scene easily one of the most intense uh scenes that of tv that i've experienced um yeah i mean we, we've already talked about it quite a bit but that's like the moment where <laughs> where it's over for ned and we we see who Baelish really is and just the level of of um just chaos and manipulation and games and scheming that really happens in king's landing like these are dangerous people to be this is a dangerous game you know when when ned told Arya a couple episodes ago we've come to a dangerous place you know we need to stick together we can't fight be fighting amongst ourselves um he was not lying about that (laughs) at all
1: no kidding yeah, you, yeah. Said, you said it perfectly. There's not too much that I can add to that because that's um beautifully said that we definitely see uh where things are. Um and probably one of the other intense moments uh, that involves Baelish is of course um the episode where we see his end. You know, talk about intense.
2: Yeah, and yeah, and this line is reiterated by Bran um which is great to see. It's it was really really fun for me seeing um Baelish react to Bran's all knowledge, um, like when Bran tells him uh, chaos is a ladder, and he just gets this look in his face, like you shouldn't know that, mm-hmm. you should not know that. I'm scared. Uh.
1: <laughs> yeah. He should have been scared because that was yeah. that was his end.
2: It wasn't okay. enough for him to realize what Bran is, though. I mean, why why would anybody ever suspect what Bran is? Really, you know,
1: right or believe? Um, it's
2: so yeah, it's so out of left field that. Anybody is capable of what Bran is capable of. But yeah, that I mean, yeah, that just pretty much sums up my top five. Uh, any other points you want to make about the episode? Anything else in your notes?
1: So as far as my notes, I think we pretty much covered everything. I did like when Osha was talking to Theon, telling him that he was a Southerner. And he's like, I'm not a Southerner. And she said, you're south of the Wall. Right, of the I have wall. that. I was
2: going to mention that too.
1: Yeah, and don't we hear Tommen say that? Is it Tommen or someone that tells that to Jon Snow sometime later on? That you Tormund, know, do you mean? Huh,
2: Tormund, you mean?
1: Did I say Tormund? Holy hell.
2: (laughs) Tormund never meets Jon Snow. Not
1: Tormund. Tormund. How can I forget Tormund? My favorite ginger with that gorgeous beard of his. Um, Yes, Tormund. (laughs) Somebody
2: says it. Yeah, I think it's Tormund. Uh,
1: Yeah, it's either Tormund or someone that tells that, I think, to Jon Snow. I just thought that was funny when he's like, you know, or whenever they keep telling them that you're a southerner and he's i'm not a southerner because they're from the north uh right north. So you're south of the wall that you're a southerner to me yeah that's... we get
2: that a couple times it's great yeah. how about this quote from baelish i never picked up on this before uh raz says oh when she's trying to get baelish to join them and he says he's saving himself for another woman raz says what she don't what she doesn't know won't hurt her and baelish <laughs> says a stupid saying what we don't know is usually what gets us killed uh which is Totally true and um, yeah, it really astute. Um, from Baelish, there I thought that was a really cool line. Definitely. Yeah, and just interesting to note Theon was getting a bit rapey too in that scene with yeah, Asha. Ah, creepy. Um, luckily for well, luckily for Theon, <laughs> Lewin arrived. Otherwise, Asha would have probably gutted him. <laughs>
1: no kidding. Yeah, yeah, because we, God, we've seen damn. how fierce she, she can be uh, with the yeah. knife and how she's uh, she can take care of herself. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, that's she.
2: Yeah, she's used to dealing with dudes who chew him up.
1: Yeah, no kidding. She she's not very f- fearful of many things, but obviously fearful. of of those white walkers and what's coming, um, yeah, that was... and that's the
2: other thing. Um, she alludes to the white walkers talking with mm-hmm. Lewin. Um, yeah. before the long night comes, she says, and she, uh, things that sleep during the day and hunt at night. and Lewin responds, Owls and shadow cats. And I'm she says, I'm not about talking owls about owls,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: the things you speak of, they've been gone for thousands of years. They wasn't gone, old man, they were sleeping. sleeping. And they ain't sleeping no more. <laughs>
1: I know, so creepy.
2: I love Osha.
1: Yeah, I, I loved her character too. I was really sad. Give me
2: a call, Natalia.
1: Yeah, she was pretty great. That'd be awesome. um, that's really all that I had in my notes because we've we pretty much covered everything else in our discussion, um, everything that came up in my notes I've already talked about. So that one, I just thought was kind of funny how we hear that repetitively. You know, the, the wildlings, anyone north above the wall, call everyone south of the wall. Totally. <laughs> I love that. I just thought that was <laughs> funny. So that's all that
0: I have. All had. right.
2: Great. There's, uh, there's more to come. Everybody stay with us. And we're back with some news about Game of Thrones. Our first item is from Elite Daily. An article, Will Sophie Turner's engagement delay Game of Thrones season 8? Here's what we know. Sansa Stark has been through multiple horrendous relationships on Game of Thrones, but in reality, things in Sophie Turner's romantic life couldn't be going better. The actress just got engaged to Joe Jonas, which is all well and good. But there is one thing, (laughs) Joe Littlefinger Jonas. (laughs) But there is one thing about the new engagement that has Game of Thrones fans worried. Will it delay the show? Here's everything we know about how Sophie Turner's engagement might affect Season 8. The main reason fans are starting to worry is because a couple of weeks ago we found out that Season 8 production is getting delayed for another cast member's wedding. Kit Harington, who probably knows Jon Snow, revealed that Game of Thrones producers agreed to shut down Season 8 production for a day or two so the whole show's cast and crew could attend his upcoming wedding with fellow Game of Thrones actor... Uh, it bugs me how actors and actresses are all referred to as actors now mm-hmm. um, so I'm changing it to actress fellow Game of Thrones actress Rose <laughs> Leslie Leslie, who played a grit Harrington said the production team obliged his request request, request, his request to f- factor in a break in films uh, in filming the final season so I don't know I, I don't think that um, they'll delay it twice. I think that no. Sophie Turner is uh, to quote Rick James. I think she's got a little more sense than that, than that, you know, She'll, she won't yeah. want to do that. You know? and, I mean, Wait a couple months. It's they, all good. They
1: just got engaged and which John Herring or John uh, did as well. Or, I'm sorry. Kit Harrington did as well. But they had like um, been
2: together for a while. It's like, do know? they even
1: have a, a, a date set yet for their wedding? Are they really, I mean, I guess obviously they rose and Kit do because they've already agreed to shut down production for a day or two. But, so right. if we just got engaged as well and I mean we don't know of a date where well, they might know of a date and they just haven't released it But I'm I, I don't think I would worry too much. I mean, it's worth are yeah, the final here. stretch here people. Let's loosen up Let's not freak out about <laughs> Yeah, you know, how much more <laughs> delayed season 8 is going to be
2: <laughs> Oh man, I guess apparently Hurricane Ophelia is also ca- causing major delays in filming season 8 Awesome, um, our next item is by sci-fi wire Game of Thrones cast will film season eight without a script to prevent leaks. Um, Game of Thrones final season is hotly anticipated by its millions of fans, and it seems season eight is also anticipated by its actors. Nikolai Costa-Waldo, who plays the arrogant turned humble Jamie Lannister, says actors won't be given scripts in advance, Um, which I'm hearing contradicting reports about because Jon Snow, Uh Kit Harington, recently said he read all the scripts. And now he knows everything.
1: And he cried when he read the As final script. I posted that right. in the in the Facebook group and thought, I said yeah. the same thing. I thought, didn't we just get told that they weren't releasing scripts? But now Kid Harrington is talking about how he cried reading the final one.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, I don't think we're going to yeah, get so th-
1: much truth with anything I'm gonna to do cry. with season eight.
2: <laughs> yeah. Probably. It's all smokescreen. Yeah. Who knows? I don't even think we can really comment about what's true or, yeah. Who we can believe here. So, yeah, um, you can see it here below. Coster Waldo explained to host Frederick Scavlon that security has become increasingly tight. First, the cast were given traditional scripts, then digital scripts, then scripts delivered via verified emails. If you lost it, you would be sent to prison, he quipped. Uh, But after the HBO hack, creators are taking no chances. Coster Waldo said that the script will be read to the actors through earpieces. Wow. How fun. We will do a scene. We're going to be told what's going to happen. We are all going to have earpieces for the scene, and then someone's going to tell you the line, and then you're going to do the line. Wow, I have never heard of that being done before.
1: I have never heard that either.
2: (laughs) That is the kind of acting that I would love to do. Uh, That would be really cool. Uh Interesting. So Skovlon saw this development through rose-colored glasses. Quite a luxury. You don't have to rehearse so much. <laughs> I'm just terrible at memorizing long dialogue, so that would be the way for me to do it. Uh huh. Give me a line at a time, and I'll knock it out of the park. Beat it to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, season 8 still doesn't have a release date, obviously, and it could be, be 2019 before we see the final season. Oh, I'm planning for it. Um, but HBO can take as long as they want. We're suckers for Game of Thrones that way. Mm
1: -hmm. They got us by the balls.
2: Also, a shout-out to Norwegian host Scavlan, who kindly held the interview in English for Costar Waldo's many American fans. Bigger shout-out to the members of the audience who were able to accept the language shift without a complaint. Um, Yeah, that's pretty cool. Next article is by The Independent, and it's 13 er actors who went from Harry Potter to Game of Thrones. Harry Potter and Game of Thrones are two completely different worlds, but the worlds converge thanks to actors who have appeared in both. While some of the crossovers may be recognizable, like Natalia Tena as both Tonks and Osha, others may come as a surprise. Here are 13 actors that have appeared in both series. Michelle Fairley made a brief appearance in the first part of Deathly Hallows as Hermione's father. Mm-hmm. Michelle Fairley is Catelyn Stark, just to clarify. Oh, but it says But Game of Thrones fans might know her best as strong-willed Catelyn Stark. Natalia Tena is known through the Harry Potter fandom as the amazing Nymphadora Tonks, but don't call her a Nymphadora. <laughs> she jo- joined Game of Thrones as fearless wildling Osha in the first season until she and Rickon disappeared for a bit during season four and five. She briefly returned in season six, but was killed by Ramsay Bolton when she tried to stab him. R.I.P. R. R. Osha. David Bradley played Argus Filch, the often cruel caretaker at Hogwarts. Dude, I didn't, I watched these all, like, these movies all very recently, and I don't even remember a lot of this. Um, (laughs) He he plays Walder Frey, the awful head of House Frey, who um, betrayed the Stark family in Game of Thrones. Oh, David Bradley. I was thinking, is it John Bradley that plays uh, Sam? Yeah. Okay, that's that's what I was thinking. Okay, so I was confused there. Kieran Hines. Played Abe Fourth Dumbledore, Albus's brother, in the final Harry Potter movie. Fans might recognize him as Mance Raider, King Beyond the Wall in Game of Thrones. Hmm, interesting. Freddie Stroma played the slightly obnoxious Cormac McLaggen, um, who annoyed Hermione during Professor Slughorn's Christmas party. He showed up during the season six of Game of Thrones as Dickon Tarly, <laughs> Sam's younger brother. <laughs> You won't recognize Julian Glover in Harry, Harry Potter because he was the voice of Aragog, the giant spider, but you can recognize him as Maester, Grand Master Pycelle in Game of Thrones. Standing at seven foot one, Ian White has played his fair share of giant characters, including body shots for Madame Olymp Maxime, also portrayed by Francis de la Torre. He's portrayed multiple characters on Game of Thrones, including a white walker, the mountain in season two and one one, the giant Nicholas Blaine. Yeah, totally awesome. He's a cool guy. Um, Nicholas Blaine made an appearance in Harry Potter and the order of the Phoenix as Bob, a wizard who worked with Arthur Weasley at the ministry of magic in game of Thrones. He played the spice King, one of the 13 who rule Karth. He was killed by a fellow member warlock. Pyot pree, Bronson Webb played a Slytherin student and friend to Draco Malfoy in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban um, Webb played Will a member of the Night's Watch who fled from the White Walkers only to be executed by Ned Stark for deserting his men Ralph Innocent played Amicus Carrow the Death Eater in season th- in uh, the third of the Harry Potter films he also played Dagmer Cleftjaw in uh in Game of Thrones, a raider for House Greyjoy, um, who was with Theon when he betrayed Winterfell, he was in for a rude awakening when he and his men were flayed alive by uh, Ramsay, Sn- Ramsay Snow. Oh. Edward Tudor Pole played Mr. Borgen, an owner of the Borgen and Burks um, of Borgen and Burks, in a deleted scene from Chamber of Secrets in Harry Potter. He popped up as a protester in season two episode uh, in a season two episode of Game of Thrones. Sally Mortimer played Madame Irma. Print uh Pince, the librarian at Hogwarts and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. She popped into Game of Thrones as a bravosi woman in the sixth season. Blink and you'll miss Daniel Tewitt, the guy the skinny ministry wizard in Deathly Hollows Part One. He's somewhere in in there. Uh, but he has a more prominent role as Game in Game of Thrones as Lothar Frey in the newest season. And one not included in in this episode, surprisingly, is the actor who played Slughorn himself, um, yeah. In in uh, Harry Potter, and he is Mace- one of the maesters, the guy who Sam is dealing with at the uh, Citadel mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones too. Yeah. Our next article. Yeah, it's weird they didn't mention him, but they mentioned his character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Our next article is by Marie Claire UK. Congratulations are in order for this Game of Thrones star. Game of Thrones star Peter Dinklage and his wife have reportedly welcomed their second child. The news was confirmed by Us Weekly. But the couple, who are notoriously private about their personal lives, have not revealed the name or gender of their second child. Huge congratulations to Peter Dinklage and his wife.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Um, Best of uh, luck and wishes of health for all of you and your children. And we'll be right back with Raven's Calls. And we're back with Raven's calls. You want to start, Rima?
1: Yeah. um, First one we have is from Becky Price. Hey, Becky. Hey, Becky. Still one of my favorite monologues on the whole show. Cersei has always been one of my favorite characters.
2: Angelica Garcia Decker says... One of the few times I felt for Cersei is that monologue. I feel so sorry for Ned, just tripping over his own honor. Gotta love Jon's tantrum after not being chosen a ranger. He never pouted harder, lol. <laughs> so true. <laughs> That's great. <laughs>
1: um, next one's from Kristen Hal. Hey, Kristen. Hey. Have, have you noticed she never yells? It's amazing. I think she raised her voice twice that I can think of. Before last week, I thought it was only once when Joffrey died.
2: It's hmm. interesting, yeah. I hadn't really picked up on that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to pay attention to that now. Mm-hmm, me too. Thanks for the tip, Kristen. Jody Wadward says, "What if Sirio is a faceless man who is now wearing the face of Jockin?" Ooh. Ooh, that would be awesome.
1: That would be, be so cool
2: to see Serio come back at some point. Oh my
1: <laughs> gosh, I love Serio. Right? So fascinating. Um, yeah. Next one's from Caroline Grenier. O M G! With that episode, I'm like, no, Ned, no! Please don't <laughs> go home.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and um, some more feedback from Wendy Ott Eppers, who uh, may or may not be hosting with me next week.
1: So I've heard. Yay, Wendy! Oh, 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 oh.
2: Leave a little mystery, but I'm <laughs> looking forward to that. <laughs> um, yeah, Wendy says ghost fetches <laughs> good boy oh yeah because ghost shows up with the dead guy's hand yeah drogo decides to cross the poison water to get his girl a throne and uh little finger he warned ned he warned him he, it's true he did <laughs> we also have an email from caroline collins you want to read that one Remo?
1: sure she says hi duncan Loved the last episode, Kristen has some really great observations and you guys make a great team. I enjoyed rewatching You Live or You Die and seeing things really come to a head or lack thereof for poor Ned. I've always loved the first scene with Tywin and Jamie, as it is the first time we get to see Tywin in the flesh and Charles Dance is just so badass. <laughs> One thing I noticed this time about the conversation in that almost everything he says is wrong. I'm sure huh. a lot of it is his opinion and view of the world, but I couldn't help thinking, nope, I disagree with every statement. Looking at Jamie's face as he's watching his father spew this crap, I realize it's not just indignation, he disagrees too, and he's doing everything in his power to stay calm and not speak up. A few examples. There are the big things, like family lives on, and in terms of Dynasty as Tywin sees it, I definitely think he's wrong there. If we've learned anything about... A family in this show, it's that the underdogs usually end up on top, and it doesn't really matter whether you come from a big house or not. Your tenacity, skills, and leadership will get you to the throne, or at least allow you to survive. They mention it several times with Daenerys in this episode, when Jorah is talking about Aegon the Conqueror. It's also brought up with Ned and Renly just before Robert dies. Family family lives on, not your personal glory, not honor. What? Of course your honor (laughs) and personal glory live on. Look at the Sword of the Morning or Sir Duncan the Tall. What about the Last Hero or Brandon the Builder? In this world, yeah, the deeds done seem to have eternal significance. The only thing Tywin seems to be remembered for is wiping out an entire house that was once an ally and friend and not in, in an honorable way, I may add. Maybe the reins could be a conversation for a still smug at some point. A few other Definitely. little things he gets wrong. <laughs> Tyrion is a Lannister, the lowest Lannister, but he's still one of us. Sorry, Tywin, hmm. I disagree, and you may be wrong on both counts there. He says the Targaryens <laughs> collapse into nothing, but there are more of them around than he knows. He belittles Jamie's gold cloak, basically saying that he's wasting his potential. I disagree on that one, too. He did say a few true things. Yes, he's going to die. I can't wait. (laughs) I think I'll leave you with that for now. I'm sure you have some thoughts on this awesome scene too. Oh, and you've been pronouncing my name right. It's Caroline rhymes with arbor wine as it's so appropriate for this episode. I appreciate the titles, but it's just Caroline, if it pleases you, sir, I'm no lady. Thanks again for a great podcast, Caroline Collins. Thanks,
2: Caroline. I
1: agree with a lot of what you said there, Caroline. Good email, and especially about Kristen. Kristen is a badass as a co-host on here. I totally bow to Kristen.
2: And uh, so are you, Rima. So yeah, you're right up there as well. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure people love these episodes just as much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Caroline. Our next email comes from Archmaester Rennie so many great lines in this episode and so many great lines in the podcasts. (laughs) Here's my top three for this episode. Three, when Drogo promises to give the Iron Throne to Daenerys, actually to their son, he says he'll fight the men in armor, tear down their buildings, and rape their women. (laughs) That's not exactly what Danny had in mind. (laughs) She she seems happy about it, (laughs) but it's one of many signs that her invasion of Westeros is not going to end up being a good thing. Mm -hmm. Two, I'm not going to fight them. I'm going to fuck them. Much as I hate exposition, the scene with Littlefinger and Roz and the other whore is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) He's teaching them to fake it and he'll be faking it with Liza. Oh! One, there is no reason at all for Tywin to be butchering a deer. He's got servants for that, except to show how badass he is. But Charles Dance is so awesome in the role that I don't even care how stupid it is. (laughs) And uh, she finishes off saying, you're right, Duncan, I am a she, but I'm a Brienne slash Aria slash Mira Reed kind of she. Plus, I have a PhD in real life, so I'm passing as Archmaester Rennie.
1: Oh, that's lovely.
2: Thanks again for writing Archmaester Rennie. I always love uh, hearing your feedback, so keep it coming, please. Absolutely. And same with you, Caroline, also. (laughs) Um, And we also have a voicemail from May Almardini.
3: Hello Game of Microphones, this is May Mardini calling you with my review of this episode. I thought that there was a great theme this episode of uh, teaching lessons. So we start off with Tywin trying to teach Jamie a lesson while he's skinning a deer, foreshadowing the death of Robert. Cersei tries to teach a similar lesson to Jamie in Season 7 when she talks about wanting to leave uh, the Lannister legacy behind. Uh, Cersei also tries to teach ned a lesson this episode so does everyone else but of course we know that he's a slow learner um, he should have taken the throne from jamie when he had a chance to but um, he didn't and when he tries to take it from joffrey in this episode he fails uh, little finger tries to teach everybody how to make love i think sam would have loved that he also leaves us with some tidbits what you don't know kills you and admits that Littlefinger wants to fuck everyone, and of course he screws over Ned this episode. Um, Finally, I just want to note that the scene with Sam and John uh, swearing their oath is really sweet. Um, When Sam tries to get up, he can't. uh, John helps him out, and of course I can't forget to mention that everybody also tries to teach John a lesson uh, about why he's really in the North, um, and um, Sam lets him know that just because he's going to be a squire doesn't mean that um, he is not important, and he will probably have a lot to learn. Um, one final note: um, Did Jorah save Danny because he wanted to, or is it because he got the order from Varys? Have a great day, everyone! Awesome, great voicemail.
2: Yeah, thanks for uh, for sending a voicemail, May. Yeah, really interesting observations. And I do think that, as we discussed, uh, Jora would have saved Danny anyway. Mm-hmm. Out of love, his choice. He loves her. Oh, yeah. He couldn't let um spitting image of his ex wife, who, <laughs> who he pines over, <laughs> to, be, to be killed in front of him. That's I don't think.
1: Right. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right.
2: All right, that's our show, episode 49. Thanks for listening, everybody. guys would like to call us you can uh, always call at 813-563-3739 that's 813 joffrey if you'd like to email us send your ravens to ravens at game check out our facebook page at facebook.com slash g-o-m podcast and hey if you guys have a chance give us a like on facebook and uh shoot us a review or rating over on itunes as I mentioned, we're trying to uh, spread the word of the podcast over the break, over the long night, as I'm calling it, so that um, you know there'll be it'll be more prevalent and available for people to listen during season eight, whenever that ends up airing. <laughs> yeah, 2019 yeah. at some point. Go give it a boost. So yeah, folks. yeah, we'd uh, appreciate it if you helped out and gave us a review if you have a chance. Takes two seconds. Yeah, uh, thank you so much in advance. And uh, there will be another episode next week. We'll be covering Season 1, Episode 8, The Pointy End. Yay! So uh, give us a watch and send us your thoughts, and uh, we'd love to share them on the air. Get your word out. You can do that here. Absolutely. Super cool. Love this platform. Um, All right, that's our show.
1: Thanks for listening. She must be very beautiful.
2: No. Impeccable bloodlines,
0: though. My <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>